Hey, here we are once again, book by book. We're studying the book of 1 Samuel, taking the second in our series of studies, and we're here in the Dockland area of London, England, with, of course, all these surroundings here of the dome and the little cable cars, and, of course, we're very near London City Airport, so if we hear the odd plane going overhead, we understand. But here's Paul Blackham, my colleague, and here is our special guest today, Nancy Guthrie from Nashville, Tennessee, and she's an author and also a Bible teacher. Welcome again to this study. Thank you. So glad to get to do this. Nancy, let's work together on this, let's if we do. may. And join with us. Open your Bible, if you will, because we're taking study number two, which we entitle Rejecting the Lord as King. We're looking at chapters 6 to 10 of 1 Samuel. And I think what I could do is to open up the Bible here, first of all, for our little reading, chapter 8, verses 6 to 9, which gives us that very theme. Chapter 8, verse 6 to 9. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. So there's a strong warning from the very beginning as the people ask for a king to reign, their own king to reign over them like with the other nations. Actually, as we look at the end of our last study, chapter, end of chapter 5, it reads a bit like, well, Indiana Jones, really, with the ark's presence bringing illness to the Philistines. And as we enter chapter 6, bringing, well, even death uh, to those showing reverence, as it says there in verse 19. Nancy, what is this about? Well, you know, the reason we're, when you read from chapter 8, they're going to ask for a king. The reason is they've lost terribly in battle to the Philistines. Mm. Uh, and the ark, the, the symbol of the very presence, the throne of God, has been left there amongst the Philistines. And as you said, as it would be with the presence of the, the holy God there amongst his enemies, it's wreaking havoc there. They, there are all kinds of plagues. And it makes sense they're thinking, we've got to get rid of this ark. Mm -hmm. And they decide, okay, we're going to put it on a cart and we're going to get it out of here. It kind of reminds us when we read this chapter of the Exodus. Yeah. Remember the people of God mm -hmm. are, are there and all of these plagues mm -hmm. are coming on, on the people in Egypt. And they finally decide, let's get these people yeah. out of here. It's a similar scenario. They decide, okay, we're going to get rid of this ark. But doesn't it also show us here the concern of the people that's going to lead to them asking for a king is they think the answer that they need is a human king like all of the other nations have. And yet here we see the presence of God amongst Israel's enemies. There's no human there fighting against <laughs> the enemies. Yeah. And God himself is doing a work among them, a work of judgment, mm -hmm. uh, a work of, in a sense, killing them mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
they should realize God is the king. Yeah. He can take care of us. Yeah, really. So we're thinking about the ark on the cart. And actually, well, I heard you murmuring, Paul, mm. back about verse 14, the cart came to the field of Joshua. So uh, tell us about this. I love that verse. I love these little details. I get myself like locked into all the little details. This is verse 14. It's 14 because it says, the cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And there it stopped beside a large rock. And the people chopped at the word and sacrificed the cows and burnt offering to the Lord. And it's just like, it seems like, oh, that's just a strange little verse. No, but just wait. I always think, wait a minute. Because the Lord Jesus is the eternal son, the king of kings, God of gods from the beginning of the world. He's the mediator between God and the world in creation, revelation, redemption from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. And so even long before he's born of the Virgin Mary and all that, he's there. And there's the scriptures testifying to him in all these little ways. And I think this is one of those I don't know, it's a strange little thing that the Philistines send the ark back on a car and it goes to a field of Joshua and that's the name Jesus, the field of Yeshua, the field of Jesus and at Beth Shemesh, which means the house of the sun, you know, or this great source of light and life over all things, the field of Jesus, the house of the sun and then by this big rock and again, I can't think, you know, because the Lord is the rock. And then Hannah has just prayed that the Lord is our rock. And then so he is this ark that is the throne of God. And he's just shown his reality and that he is the king without any human assistance. And then there's this in strange little, I don't know whether anyone really noticed it, but we read it and we go, hang on, that's the field of Jesus by the rock. And then there they make this sacrifice to a peace with God. I don't know. It's the sort of thing. I want to preach a sermon on that verse. <laughs> well, I was imagining that. I was thinking that some preacher listening to this who's sharing in our study might think, hey, I'd like to preach on this and make it my, my text. Yeah. It could be done. It's wonderful. Actually, as we come into chapter 7, we might ask ourselves, how was Samuel able to defeat the Philistines in spite of failure back in chapter 4, as we were learning last time? You know, it's a beautiful picture of how we're going to ever be able to experience victory in regard to enemies, which we might say our enemies are sin in our life or the things that would uh, draw us away from the Lord. It's the same thing that happens here. As Samuel speaks to me, it's, it's been 20 years since the ark has been away. And they say, you know, how are we going to have victory? And look in verse three of chapter seven at the end, Samuel tells them, return to the Lord with all your hearts, rid yourselves of foreign gods. And on there it says, he will deliver you. And here is the beautiful way in which God works. When we return to him with great sincerity of heart, when we repent, we turn away from all of the other anti-gods in our lives, all the things, the false gods, the, the idols that we have in our own hearts, mm. and he begins to work. He also serves as an intercessor. We saw earlier in our, in our first visit that they don't have a good mediator between them and God in the priesthood, mm. right? In Eli yeah. and his evil sons. And so here Samuel says to them in verse 5, I will intercede to the Lord for you. And then we see this beautiful thing that, that what do the people do? They tell Samuel, I'm in verse eight of chapter seven, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us. 
You know, I think sometimes as God as God's people, we tend to think that the Lord wants us to be so strong. The mm. Lord wants us to be dependent on him because he is strong. Mm. And here the people are beginning to recognize this. We need him to rescue us. Mm. And it says he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. Now they're going about their uh fighting the Lord's battle in the Lord's way, fully dependent mm. upon him. And they do experience victory. Yeah, that's great. It's the whole story of repentance again and again through the scriptures, coming back to the returning to the Lord. So the question to the person who says, well, I don't feel I repented. The real question is, do you intend to stop doing it? No. If you yes. do, then you repented. No. And that was one of the big things confronting, of course, Israel, but of course, Christians today Christians. around the world. Um, when we look at chapter 8, actually, there's a new development here. Uh, look at uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Why did the church of God ask for a king like the nations? Oh, Why? I, I do think it's so sad when I read this because it's like, think of how the Lord drew them out of the nations and made them different. And all the way through Deuteronomy, he's like, don't be like the nations. Don't be like the nations. Be like me. Be like me. You know, focus on me. And then they go, no, no, we just want to be like the nations. And it's like, no. And one writer says, it's like the church saying, we don't want to be the church. Mm -hmm. When the Lord has done everything and like you say, he rescues them and they really say, yeah, can we not have you as the rescuer? Can we have a rescuer like anybody else has, like non-Christians have? And it's heartbreaking. And Samuel's heartbroken about it. And you just think, oh, no, that's terrible. And of course, it isn't just that, as you were saying, it isn't just an, an, a problem ancient. Like we can't go, weren't they stupid to say that? Because the church in every generation gets tempted to be like the world. And the Bible in Old Testament and New Testament says, don't be like them. Come out from among them. Be separate. Focus on the Lord Jesus. Focus on the living God. He's what makes us distinctive. We want to be different with him. But when we say, no, no, actually, I wish I wasn't a Christian. I wish I was just like the world. Ah! Oh! It's a horrible thing that they say. Samuel's upset and the Lord has to comfort Samuel, saying, it's not you, Samuel, they've rejected. They've rejected me as the king. And that's the point. Again, he is the king, but he's not enough for them anymore. Oh, what a, what a verse. All this about choosing the wrong king yeah. or choosing a king at all. Uh, I mean, how did the Lord then turn this into, into good? In the Bible's, well, in the big picture, Nancy. Don't we see that all the way through mm. the scriptures? That our sovereign God works even through our terrible, sinful choices. Yeah. You know, and when we go back, we know in Deuteronomy that he, mm. he foresaw, he always knew yeah. there would be a king. There's going yeah. to be a day when I'll set a king over you. Yeah. And we can even go further back than that, can't we? If yeah. we look at the blessing of Jacob yeah. over his son Judah, he says, yeah. from you kings will yeah, come. Yeah. And so we know it's not completely out of God's plan for them to have a king. And yet here's the key. You talked about it. They want their kind of king. Yeah. They want a king like the kings of the other nations. 
and they've determined the time rather than allowing God to choose the time when he will give them the king. So they're saying, here's the kind of king we want. Here's when we want it. And we're demanding it rather yeah. than trusting on, God, on God's timing mm -hmm. and his plan and his provision of the kind of king that he wants. And of course, Samuel is so wise here. He tells him, here's the kind of king you're asking. You really want a king yeah. like the nations? Well, yeah. let me tell you what that's like. And you see a repeated word throughout this chapter of eight over and over again. He will take. He's going to take your sons. He's to work in the, as be as soldiers. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. So he's going to take and take and take. And you're going to turn into slaves. And here, think about this in terms of the greater king that we know oh, yeah. that the king ultimately points to. One day, God is going to send his king in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and he he's not going to be king. a king who's going to take. <laughs> the servant king. He's yeah. a king who gives and gives and gives. Oh, how we want the kind of king that the Lord wants to give us rather than the kind of king we think oh, we really yeah. need. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Nancy. That's such a help to get the big picture like that. Actually, all of chapter 9 tells us of how big man saw uh, met Samuel for the first time. And in chapter 10, verse 1, is anointed as Israel's leader. And verse 24, the people are shouting, Long live the king! But, reading on, Saul appears as a sad case of lost potential. Oh, I, I think so. Why might that be? Well, it's just because at the beginning, even in chapters 9 and 10, he looks great. He's tall. <laughs> yeah, he's tall. And even spirit-filled, you know, and the spirit comes upon him. He's changed into a different... He's prophesying with all the... And he must have looked just for that at the beginning, like, oh, here's the guy. He's leading, he's preaching, he's, lead, he's in worship, he's... Oh, this is great. This is a fabulous... And he does look it just for a minute. You just think, oh, Saul... He's, he's spirit-filled, he's impressive physically, people follow him, great. They're on a serene high, the people, serene long live high. the king. And then you just think, let's end the book right now. <laughs> but no, <laughs> it, it doesn't stay like that. But that's the tragedy of Saul. You think, what could have been? Because he starts off with potential, he, and he does sort of initially seem to have a heart for the Lord, doesn't he, to begin with? But... That's not how the story ends. And he no. experiences some victory against the Lord's enemies, yeah. the Philistines. Yeah. So it's that sense of lost potential, I think, with Saul. Oh, I know. And, well, you see, there we are, rejecting the Lord as king. And next time we're going to move on further into our next study. But for the moment, let me just come back to what could be a good key verse for some of the friends sharing with us in the study. might like to almost learn by heart. And that is 1 Samuel 7, verse 12. I like it very much because they have just have defeated the Philistines. And it says then, verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. Ebenezer meaning the stone of help. I guess that's happened to many of us, actually, that we've come to some moment in our life when we've come through great difficulties and we want almost to mark it, we remember it, not exactly necessarily with a stone, but a landmark moment. I wonder if that's happened to you at some point in life. You think, this is a good moment. We've come through this awful time. You like setting up a stone as Samuel did. 
Ebenezer thus far as the Lord helped us, implying that you help us in the gain in the future as well. Look out for us next time. God bless you.